Mike Sklenz, and this is Nintendo World Report's Connectivity Podcast, episode 141, The Yua Died Years Ago. Well, I got two segments and a bonus for you this week. Uh, first up, Alex, Josh, and Scott talk about some games they've been playing, and then they do a listener mail segment. And after that, Johnny Metz joins Zach to talk about Godzilla. Enjoy the episode. and welcome to this segment of Connectivity. I am Scott Thompson, and today I am with Alex Kalafi. Hey, everybody. And Josh Matt. Oh, it's good to be back. It's been a while. It's, it's been Months. a while for me. Decades. Does anyone ever call you Joshua? <laughs> um, No, no, no one ever does. Not even your parents or anything? Why Why would they? The Yua died years ago. I, put, I buried <laughs> it in a ditch. Did that happen like steadily, or was it just like at some point you were an adult and, and the the UO was gone? No, no one, no one really called me Joshua. It's not, it's not really. It sounds. I don't know. I always thought it sounded more like religious than it needed to it be. It does. I mean, uh, I definitely, I definitely could see it. it has religious roots. That's for sure. Yeah, he took over for Moses. Yeah, that's right. Big shot. <laughs> um, so we're going to be talking about our names today on connectivity. Um. <laughs> So we are going to be talking about a, a few games that we've been playing, some new, some old, um, that we just haven't really talked about recently, or maybe not at all. And then after that, we've got a bunch of questions from email and Twitter that we're going to go over some really good questions. So it should be pretty fun. Um, but kicking things off, yeah, let's talk about some games we've been playing. Uh, who would like to start? I guess I'll right. Josh. Yeah, hi. Uh, I'll start. All right, go ahead, Josh. Well, I haven't been playing anything new. In fact, I've been playing a lot of old games. Because uh, recently, okay. I got my N64. I dusted it off, brought it to my uh, apartment. And uh, pretty much since the 4th of July, we've been playing it nonstop. And we've been doing uh, Super Smash Brothers, uh, Mario Kart, GoldenEye, Banjo-Kazooie, Mario Parties, uh, Super Mario... Uh, we couldn't find any of the Zeldas, so we're actually going out and finding them around the city right now, <laughs> so we can replay them in their N64 glory. Uh, but yeah, it's just like, it's like really, you know, headed back to my roots, man. Uh, what do you think of the visuals of these N64 games? Because I've always been of the opinion that this particular generation has some games that have almost become unplayable because of how rough the polygonal the polygonal graphics look. I don't know, man. I mean, though, like, I'm playing... I don't have a lot of... I didn't bring any of my, like, crappy games. Like, I don't have Superman 64 or anything like that. <laughs> right. But, like, I... Like, all the games I have are, like, still so good. Like, I played Smash with people last night for, like, four hours straight. Like, it's still... Like, it holds up. Like, even without, uh, like, the, the B-overs uh, or anything like that. It's still like it's such a good game, and even and Mario Kart holds up. Like they all hold up, like with graphics and everything. Uh, I'm actually still surprised how catchy all the music is. Have you gotten the Pokemon Stadium games yet? Yes, I have both of them. Which one do you prefer? Two. Although we had too. we had a conversation about it last night, me and my friends, and it's just we, they don't hold up as well as we wish they would. Yeah, because they're just like encounters that just take longer than in the game <laughs> yeah right and it's just like and the mini games do not hold up as well as i wish they would but it's still like it's still fun but it's much it's it's fueled entirely on nostalgia right well yeah i mean even at the time the pokemon stadium games it was all about just the spectacle you know it was about seeing these little sprites that you've trained for hours and hours and hours 
you know, realized on the screen and looking like they look in, you know, in the artwork and in the anime and that kind of stuff. And and if you um, renamed them like Drillby, then it turned a different color, but only in <laughs> Stadium. Like, it, yeah. it was like the fake shinies. You're like, oh, yeah, I got Drillby. He's the, uh, <laughs> it's a shiny Beedrill. You probably don't have one. They're like, I have a Game Boy. It's not even color. I don't, sure, yeah, yeah it's a shiny one. I don't know. <laughs> I remember uh, just transferring glitch Pokemon over to Pokemon Stadium. How would that because, work? Well, because it has the uh, Game Boy adapter, and you can actually transfer Pokemon from your game, oh, I think one way, into no, no, Pokemon Stadium. I, I actually I still have that, that adapter, and I did that. I still have my old Pokemon Red and Blue. You can transfer them in and out. Okay, cool. So At least I think I can. I, uh, I transferred one out. I, I that sounds better than I imagined, but there are these glitch Pokemon, uh, missing known M, but specifically M, which it's that whole Cinnabar Island glitch. Uh, right. You can look it up yourself. At level two, if you catch a level zero one and evolve it to level two, I think it evolves into a Kangaskhan. Oh but yeah. Because M is a bird type, not flying type, but bird type, one of the prototype uh, Pokemon types. You can teach it fly before it evolves. So when it turns into a Kangaskhan and you transfer it into Pokemon Stadium, you can actually teach uh, Kangaskhan fly using that evolution method. So you can actually get a flying <laughs> Kangaskhan into Pokemon Stadium. It was just the coolest thing. Haven't there also been like so many iterations of Pikachu? There's a, that some Pikachus no fly and some no surf. Yeah. I was like, surfing Pikachu was a big thing, yeah. I don't know why it was a big thing. But it was like, yeah, man, we got this little electric mouse, and if we put it in water, people are going to go ape shit. And indeed, we did. Well, that wasn't a glitch, right? Wasn't no, no, that was a promotion. Like, no, that was promotion. A promotion, yeah, that's what I thought, yeah. And we, yeah, everyone was, uh, went crazy. Surfing Pikachu had cards. There was birthday Pikachu at one point where you <laughs> wrote the name of the person, and it said, this person's birthday. Pikachu. There was, uh, there was the flying Pikachu where he had balloons. Mm, yeah, and, uh, and and they even brought Surfing Pikachu back for a while back in uh, Pokemon Battle Revolution, when if you I think beat the game completely, you can actually transfer a Pikachu that knows Surf into your Diamond and Pearl game, which was kind of cool, even though it it didn't go on a surfboard when it entered the water. <laughs> oh, but I will. You know, speaking of Surfing Pikachu's, there is one game that that holds up, but also like because it wasn't that great in the first place, Pokemon Snap. Ooh, you could yeah. beat that thing in an afternoon, but it's yeah. still so much fun that it's just like, I, you, I don't give a shit. What a creative game that was. Right? It was. I mean, I even played through the whole thing again on when it came out on the Wii Virtual Console, you know, way back in 2007, maybe. Maybe it was that, that first full year of the Virtual Console. I don't remember. But yeah, no, I mean, it, it's such a fun little game. And I, as has always been said since the Wii U's been a thing with the gamepad, like the fact that there isn't a new Pokemon Snap yet is insane. I know, it's just like, it makes so much money, and it's like, it was such a, a well-made little game. It's just like, I don't understand, like, I can understand why they don't make another Pokemon Puzzle League, but I don't understand why they're not making another Pokemon <laughs> Snap. Yeah, I mean, I feel like at this point, they could even just, like, like I mean, it wouldn't be a true HD remake, but I mean, just like, even if they cleaned up the original for the Wii U using the gamepad, like, even that would be enough for people, oh, like, yeah. for now. I mean, why not even put that much effort into it? see the success it will undoubtedly have and then make a new one it's just crazy i'm preaching to the choir 
<laughs> so just quickly, Josh, out of all of the N64 games you've now replayed, which one is your favorite? Oh man, don't do this to me. Uh, like, you can name a couple. You're make, yeah, I mean, you're making me you're making me pick my favorite children. Um, <laughs> I I don't know. I'm still a huge fan of Smash, but it's because I'm still like that was like one of the the essential games I played with all my friends when I was little, and I'm still I still will boast that I'm pretty good at it right now. Uh, but I mean that that Mario Kart 64 and uh, I guess for I like a lot of those multiplayer games, but if I had to choose one, I'd say. Banjo Kazooie's up there. Mm, that's a good game. That's really up there. It's either that or uh, Mario Kart. Oh wait, no. What the fuck am I talking about? Ocarina of Time. I mean, I don't have it right now, but once I reget it, I'm going to love it again. Yeah. That. What um kind of going? You said you haven't been playing Goldeneye. I've been playing a little Goldeneye. How's that? How's that going now that we're so accustomed to like twin uh, twin stick? It's all right. Stick control. It's all right. Um, I don't isn't know. There, isn't there? I know. I think there is in Perfect Dark. I don't know if there's in Gold Knight. Isn't there a control scheme where you can use two controllers and kind of emulate the two sticks? I have never done. It might. That. It might be in Perfect Dark. It might not be in. Uh... I've never played Perfect Dark. Oh really? No. Perfect Dark's good. I think it's worth me going around and looking for now. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe GameStop will have it. If you want to play multiplayer in that, you got to get the RAM expansion. I don't know if you have that in your N64, but I'm gonna say fifty-fifty shot. <laughs> let's open it if it's got if it's got the red top then that's the expansion if it's got the black top then that's the original oh it's got a red top okay then you should be good yeah all right yeah that thing was amazing the ram expansion yeah but... didn't and you needed that for a uh, donkey kong 64 you did you couldn't play any donkey kong 64 another another kong top 64. 10 game for me that was a great game <laughs> That game is bad. It, my wife and I, we kind of went through a kick where we were going through uh, N64 games again about a year ago. We played through, like, mostly racing games. We played through, like, all of Cruise in USA, Mario Kart 64, and um, she had these, like, fond memories of Donkey Kong 64. So we went to, like, a used game shop and found it and uh, and brought it home, and that game is rough. <laughs> no, man. No, man. Again, it, it runs on nostalgia. Like, <laughs> that game is so much fun, but just because you're like, hey, man, this is where the DK rap comes from. Hey, remember Lanky and Chunky Kong? They were cool. <laughs> you could walk like the on knockoff your... di- huh? the knockoff Dixie. Oh god. Tiny Kong? Yeah, that oh, was a great was idea. Was it Tiny? I think it was something like that. She was that shrink. her name? It was something she was like wearing overalls and stuff. Yeah, yeah that was Tiny good. Kong was a thing. I don't know, man. Tiny Kong? It was it was no, it was like a, it was like kind of fun, but at the same time, like you are completely right. It was rough, but like I don't know. I still really enjoy it. I mean, I made myself play through the whole thing at the at the time when I was a kid. But oh, yeah. yeah, going back to it now, I mean, I knew it was going to be bad, but I wasn't prepared for how bad it was going to be. I mean, it runs at like four frames a second. <laughs> yeah. Um, and just, yeah, you have to like, you can't do anything at all. You have to, like, you know, have every Kong to do anything. There's like a million things to collect. It's it's bad. It takes a while, but, yeah. yeah. But like any, but, okay. but like any, any difficult uh, child, if you raise it with love, It'll turn into a Sylveon. <laughs> and in the very least, you can play the original Donkey Kong in Donkey Kong 64. That, so that I straight that. up love. I loved yeah. that when I found that. That's like the best part of the game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so enough about me. Tell me about you. What are you guys playing? Um. Well, I, I'll go next. And, you know, we talked a lot about uh, Mario Kart 8 when, um, you know, after the reviews went up. The reviews that shook the world. Um, you know, Neil and Don gave it both 7.5. 
And I don't think we've really talked about the game since then. Um, we've kind of stepped back a little. Not out of yeah. fear, but like, let's cool down for a little while. And... <laughs> you know, I don't even know I how much a lot of it was fear. that. L- I, I think a lot of <laughs> a lot of it was just related to just, I, mean, I think we've been busy. I mean, E3 was shortly after that, and there's just been a lot of other stuff going on. We haven't really done like a true just like what we've been playing segment in a long time either. Um, but I've been playing Mario Kart 8 like pretty much nonstop since it's come out. Um for at a point it was every day and now it's kind of cooled down to like every other day or every few days but my wife and i will still jump online and race a, a whole bunch um I've, i pretty much every weekend now uh myself and nicholas bray our friend from australia fellow staff writer uh will kind of host like mario kart racing nights um usually like every saturday night or every couple saturdays or something like that so follow us on twitter if you want to get in on those but i really really enjoy mario kart 8 um I you know I'm not going to debate scores or anything like that. I, I can understand where Don and Neil were coming from, um, but as far as like playing online with everybody and playing it with my my wife too, it's just it's been a lot of fun. It's the first Mario Kart I've really gotten into. I think since '64. Really? Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, like I played. I, I really liked Double Dash. Um, what about 3DS? You know, I played. Obviously, DS was good. I didn't really get into the the Wii one very much. Um, and then Mario Kart 7 was also, you know, they were good and I played them, but this is the first one that's like that Mario Kart 64 thing where I am playing it like just constantly. Well, I'm very interested then in what this game just for you has that games like Mario Kart 7, a a very similar game in a lot of ways didn't do. And like, what's making, uh, this experience harken back to Mario Kart 64 for you? Is it just the multiplayer that you've been playing with your wife? Is it uh, the it's, visuals? Is it just well, a I mean, combination it, of things? It, it, it looks fantastic. I mean, it, it's one of the best-looking Wii U games, like, easy. I mean, sometimes I, I, I'll kind of just sit back and, like, watch stuff in the background and look at the characters and the way, uh, you know, they'll kind of glisten coming out of water and all these different effects. And, I mean, it just it looks so good. And I love the music, too. I love this, like, sort of jazzy... Uh, like infusion they put into every track. Um, I really love the music, but um, no, it's for sure the multiplayer. It's the fact that it's so easy now to jump online and just instantly be racing. And I, you know, every now and then I've had a, a game will drop, but for the most part, it's been rock solid, and it's just been great. It's just been perfect. Um, in in that regard, and always having people to play with. Um, yeah, it's a little cumbersome with setting up games with. Uh, people online because you have to be Wii U friends with them and you can only have 100 Wii U friends which is a problem for me um, so like every weekend when we are doing these online races I'm like deleting people who I don't maybe necessarily know or I see who haven't logged in in like three weeks to add new people um, just because that's how it goes to set up like a, a, a game a custom game with everybody so that's kind of annoying but um, no it's just this like just fun pure racing experience I, I enjoy a lot of the new tracks and um, yeah it's just been great uh, playing with my wife now it's not all that different from mario kart 7 maybe um like fundamentally i guess but i think being able to play it on the console play it on the big tv um jump in and out so quickly i think that's a that's a big thing um so yeah we're just pretty much hooked i i've been so close to buying this game uh since you don't it have it up. i i don't have it well i i took a stand against it uh for several reasons that you can see in one one of my top three or five lists way back, <laughs> and uh, I I've stuck by it. But like that Wii U uh, extra game promotion has been sucking me in, mm-hmm. and then just just the whole zeitgeist of it. How it's like, oh, everyone else is into it. Maybe maybe there's something here I haven't seen. And I I have basically until July twenty seventh 
until that promotion runs out, and, at yeah. which point I will never buy Mario Kart 8. <laughs> so now there has been this weird internal struggle, like, hey, it's uh, 46-something on Amazon today. Maybe yeah. that's not so bad. But I since it's come out, I've went to the GameStop and Best Buy. I, I think it's only been playable at the GameStop, and I've played the uh, the Mario Kart 8 demo, I think, five times. It's had all the characters unlocked, and I think eight tracks. So I at least get a good taste of the gameplay and the characters. Mm-hmm. So since I've played it five times, maybe uh, 25, 30 minutes total over those several weeks, I just see Mario Kart. I, it, and I, I don't think it's because my, my heart's turned to dust, but it's uh, I... I guess I just don't see the same thing that many others do see. I I don't see the Nintendo magic at work here. That at least wasn't the same Nintendo magic that was in Mario Kart Seven and Mario Kart Wii. Well, the magic's there, but yeah, it's it's maybe not. It's not. It's not new any, magic. <laughs> any different? Yeah. See, the big thing is going to be how you play it, and I think that's where Neil and Don came from in the reviews. Is they played it strictly as kind of a single-player thing. I mean, naturally, they tested the online against other people who were reviewing the game or just happened to have early copies, but it's it's really the multiplayer experience that's going to make it or break it um, for you. So, like, if all you're interested in is racing, you know, the, the Grand Prix, unlocking the, the meager things there are to unlock, like, yeah, it's going to be more of the same and you're not going to be that into it. But if you really do go online and race a lot and, and fight a group of people to play with consistently, that that's what's going to set this game apart. Um, and the ease of playing online compared to, like, even something on your 3DS or, or the uh, Mario Kart Wii. So, yeah, if you get into, like, racing with, with Nicholas and I every Saturday or doing different things like that, like, that's where it's really going to shine because the online infrastructure is just so much better than it was uh, in the past games. So that that's really where it is. That's where you're going to have the most fun. I mean, I'm just saying I, I'm this close to buying it as soon as I get a Wii U. <laughs> uh, you still don't have one yet, dude. I'm telling you, when you're as rich as I am, you just you you got you're spending so much money on your gold plated bathroom tiles, you forget about the little things like the Wii U. You know what <laughs> I mean? Meager Wii U. Meager Wii. I could buy and sell a factory of them. That's how rich I am. No, but seriously, it's just like I I want to pick up a Wii U. I just you know I I went once I get the funds. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm pretty happy with the 3DS right now. And when I want to play... Didn't, wasn't it... Go ahead. Uh, when I want to play a Wii U, I can generally, like, I have friends who have it, so I'm able to still, like, keep up on Wii U titles. Uh, yeah. So it's just, I don't know, it's just, it hasn't been a priority for me uh, recently. Because the 3DS has what? been just so good to me so far this year. I think, didn't uh, Kotaku just name it, like, the first next-gen console worth buying? It was either Joystick or Kotaku. I think it was Kotaku. I don't know. I'm not going to pretend I, like but, I do. It just went up this week, yeah, or a couple of days ago, an article saying that now is the time to get a Wii U, and it's it's the first of the the big three new consoles that is now a must buy. So there you go. I think must buy. Well, I, you know what? I'm not gonna have that discussion. <laughs> I I think calling the Wii U a must buy at this point is still uh, maybe going a little bit too far. I think it in, will be a must buy in 2015. In my mind. In 2015, it's God, a must buy. That it, that's the thing that's bothering me right now. A it, must buy. You have to have it. If, that's if the part I disagree it, with. It, it's a little hard to think about because I mean, Josh doesn't own it, but you know, Alex, you and I have had it since getting it on the ground floor. So right. it's a little hard for me to think about that now. But I, but imagining someone just now buying it, thinking about New Super Mario Brothers, U, Mario 3D World, Pikmin. You know, a plethora of like indie games, Mario Kart 8. It, if you bought it now, you would have so much more to do versus 
Xbox One or PS4. I mean, the 3DS went through the same thing. Like, well, like I bought that that day one, and it was the same way with the Wii U. It had the slowest start. But, like, anyone oh, yeah. who picks it up now has, like, hundreds of hundreds of hundreds of good games, if not great games, to pick from and just to mm-hmm. catch up on. Yeah, and so that that's where I could see the Wii U having that advantage. Um, I still don't know that that makes it must own necessarily. But I was just talking about in general. I, I don't think even though I own a PS4 and you own a PS4, yeah. I, I I still like PS4. If you can hold off from that new gen sheen, you probably should hold off until at least something like Bloodborne comes out. Uh, but it, sure, out of the three consoles, Wii U has the most games right now. Right. But just in general, just as its own little standalone thing. I don't know. I I guess that's a segment for another day, but I I guess most of the sequels have been a little too sequely. I I haven't seen what Pikmin One was. Wait, what? I all right. You never played played Pikmin One. No, I'm saying it doesn't have a game that it doesn't have a new franchise on the level of Pikmin. Oh, oh, okay, okay. Nearly alongside it, like all the new franchises are like. C plus B minus tier, including Splatoon. All of the sequels <laughs> are pretty direct sequels to games that came out in like the last five years, with the exception of Pikmin Three, of course. Yeah, but I, for a second, I thought you just hadn't played Pikmin, and I was like, "This podcast is over. You have homework." <laughs> I have a copy about five feet away from me. As we hey, me too, <laughs> guys. Let's all but talk it- about how close Pikmin is to us. Physically, <laughs> but it's just I. I think Wii U still has some time to go before it gets some super original games. At least, like, uh, hopefully, the new Super Smash Bros. and the new Zelda. Well, that to me, yeah. If it's not must own now, I think even by the end of the year, I think with Smash Brothers and Mario Maker, throw those two things in, and uh, now I think you have a, a a must own system with everything that's already come out in the past two years. So. So it will um, get to Mustone. I think it will get to Mustone eventually. I just don't think it's there as of July 10th, uh, 2014, <laughs> as we're recording this. Sure. It was just nice to see a positive Wii U story come out of anywhere. Sure. Um. So, yeah, but this, so that's where I'm at. Mario Kart 8, a lot of fun. Um. Especially, yeah, the, the multiplayer, like I said, is what's going to do it. And again, if you're out there and want to play Mario Kart 8 on the weekends, uh, late at night with me and Nicholas, I guess it's early in the morning for him, probably. Um. Follow me on Twitter, OKSoda. That's where we kind of announce when we're going to do it. Uh, it's usually kind of just sort of happens. So just be paying attention at like 10 o'clock at night on Saturday. <laughs> hey man, if I... It's been fun. We've, we've gotten full games the past couple weeks. And um, yeah, it's been it's been pretty good. Nicholas is really good at Mario Kart. So if you can come in and beat him, like that's what I want. I need Nicholas to be beaten. I'm just saying if I get a Wii U, I will be there. Okay, do it. Uh, so You can buy the Mario Kart bundle now. I mean, I'd love to. I'm going to start a Kickstarter for it. Okay. <laughs> Help Josh get a Wii U and Mario Kart so he can attempt to beat everybody in the world at Mario Kart. You might be able to like spin that because you know you have to produce something with Kickstarter. So if you pro- if you promise that you're going to produce like awesome Mario Kart eight replays to post on Meverse and YouTube, uh, you might be able to get away with that. Uh, I could promise to humiliate Neil with it. Perfect. I actually, I can't <laughs> promise that. I don't know how good he is at Mario Kart eight. He's pretty good. Yeah, okay. But anyway, let's move on. Uh, Alex, what have you been playing? I've been playing anime games. Hooray! Yay. Are you excited for the new One Piece game? I, well, okay. So this is this ties directly into what my summer's been like. 
So I've been on summer vacation for the last month or so, and while I expected to play a ton of video games with my three months, uh, I ended up getting caught up in a lot of manga and anime, which is something that has never happened in my life before. It first started with uh, a boxing manga called Hajime no Ippo. I, I think I'm pronouncing that at least semi-correctly, which is a fantastic uh, manga and anime about a kid who becomes a boxer. It's been running since like the late 80s, and uh, there's about a thousand manga chapters, and I ended up reading them all uh, in the span of a few weeks. And then I got hooked, and I'm like, all right, so there's something to this manga thing. I got to see what's next. <laughs> so then I got into JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. <laughs> that was fantastic. I started watching Cromarty High, which is uh, an anime comedy, which is extremely funny. And now I have been on to Fist of the North Star, <laughs> the classic uh, early, mid to late 80s manga and anime, which is this post-apocalyptic story. It takes place in this uh, wasteland post-nuclear war, and it's about this guy named Ken, who is like Bruce Lee and Superman put together. He uses this assassin martial art uh, kung fu type thing to touch uh, the pressure points of these bandits and make them explode, and it has fantastic villains. It has... Uh, just fantastic manga action. I would not recommend the anime because it's not that good. <laughs> and it's basically the inspiration for most of the uh, the classic, or at least most of the really popular uh, martial arts type mangas. Like the Yu Yu Hakusho's and at least somewhat JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. They clearly owe a lot of their DNA to at least Fist of the North Star, if not something directly inspired by it. And it, it's just, it's like the fusion of the post-apocalyptic appeal of The Walking Dead with the appeal of, like, a Bruce Lee movie, how it's kind of campy, kind of corny, but you feel totally badass by the end of it. So, I have been playing on PlayStation 3, it's also on Wii U, Fist of the North Star, Ken's Rage 2. <laughs> and it is a pretty direct translation of the manga in the sense that it takes levels from chapters of the manga. It was made in celebration of the 30th anniversary and it is basically a Dynasty Warriors game that is a faithful adaptation of this story. And I think even though you hear Dynasty Warriors you might go, uh, the appeal to this game is that this is kind of the manga that's made for a Dynasty Warriors game. like something big and dumb where you're just blowing up hundreds of enemies at a time that's kind of exactly the game this thing needs and in that sense it's very successful it's very faithful to uh the source material it's clear that the people love the source material and uh because of that they pull it off to a certain extent as a dynasty warrior style beat-em-up because it has tons of playable characters it has tons of dream scenarios and it's pretty much the one of the best things you could hope for in an anime game, except for the fact that the game itself isn't that good. Like, it's specifically, mechanically speaking, it's it has the same problems of a Dynasty Warriors game where you're killing just a few too many enemies and it gets just a little bit too brainless and it's a little too repetitive. All the enemies kind of look the same. And in that sense... And in, in that sense, it's kind of boring. It's not a great game. I think I gave it a 4.5 when I originally reviewed it on PS3 like a year and a half ago. Uh, even though it's not that great, 
even though it has it's terribly repetitive and uh, it has a lot of filler, which was the biggest problem with the anime. It's like a lot of other anime games, where even if the game itself isn't that great, like 90% of anime games are, as long as the people making it have a love for the source material, and as long as it's relatively faithful, anime games are weirdly fulfilling in a way few other games are. And I, Josh, I, I don't know if you specifically know what I'm talking about. I, I do, actually. Very, very much so. Uh, the, one, the last One Piece game I bought, I don't buy a lot of them, actually. The last one I bought was Pirate Warriors 2, which is a Dynasty Warriors-type uh, game for the PS3. That was on PS3, right? Yeah. yeah. It was, it's really good. I still play it every now and then, since you can play online with other people. It's, uh, it's still really good. Because it, 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 the first game followed the, the plot of One Piece to, like, you know, it was like, you know, they didn't want to mess with the, uh, the, the people's heads too much. But this time they straight up went, dream story. Like a story that never happened and will never happen. Where, you know, where people are going to fight alongside each other. It's a whole thing. But it, it's, you pretty much play as anyone you want to play as, in any place you want to play as. And there's just, like, tons of stuff, like, that you can keep playing over and over and just level up all your characters. I mean, there's, you could beat it in, like, an afternoon, not an afternoon, but, like, over, like, two or three days if you really wanted to. But it's, I don't know, I do know what you're talking about, because it is oddly fulfilling. And I would, like, I thought about this a lot uh, since I've been playing this for the last few days. Like, why are anime games so weirdly fulfilling? And, and this is something that I think you can probably only attest to if you've gotten into a manga or anime before and then played a subpar game based on that anime or manga. Like, for me, the first one that I got this feeling with was the original Yu Yu Hakusho game way back on the uh the gba which was a pretty shitty game i think we might have given it a 3.5 by whoever was on site at the time but because it was a faithful adaptation i ended up playing through it like two or three times when <laughs> i was younger anyways and that, that's i i just i just think about it and the conclusion i came to is that a good anime game is kind of like a conversation between you and someone else who really really loves the same thing you do and it's just a conversation that consists of uh, the game maker saying, hey, remember this part of the anime? Wasn't that so fucking awesome? And then you go, hell yeah, it was so fucking awesome. And then it's just a back and forth as they keep giving you these scenes and you keep experiencing even a subpar playable version of it. It's weirdly fulfilling to feel the things you've been reading and watching come to life in the palm of your hands, even if it's not pulled off flawlessly. And it's a feeling, I'm not saying it's more fulfilling or less fulfilling than uh, any other type of game, but it's a very specific type of feeling that only anime games can deliver. And, and I think it's worth trying if you've ever had a manga or an anime that you've really gotten into. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I agree with that. I mean, there, like to an extent, we all kind of felt that when, when some of us played Pokemon. Because, you know, I know like when I was growing up, some people played it solely because of the TV show. And that's how they got into it. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, a lot of people, I'm sure, can attest to that. I, I Actually, yeah, I, I never thought of it that way. Because I always think, like, the game came first, and then the anime happened. Well, didn't the but anime come out I first I probably in watched the, the show first. Didn't, didn't the show come out first in the U.S.? In the U.S., maybe. it was. I was just thinking just in general with the franchise, like know. how it was a game series first. Uh, that might be right. I don't because know. All I know is I'm level cross 15 media shit. on Quiz Up, on Pokemon. So if anyone wants to fight me in Quiz Up, that new quiz app, I'll take you on. But, uh, I don't know. Maybe. It might have come out in the U.S. I don't know. We're getting off topic. What's next, guys? 
Well, actually, hold on. Scott, uh, do you have any idea of what Josh and I have been talking about for the last uh, few minutes? No, not at all. <laughs> You've Have you ever been into a manga or anime at all? Yeah, I mean, at some point, I, I, I'm not ashamed to admit that I, I was pretty into Naruto for a while. I'll admit it. Hey, we all, we all dabbled. We all dabbled. Um, and then I don't really, I've never really gotten, apart from that, I've never really gotten into any, like, anime series, but I do, like, uh, films in anime style. So, like, uh, you so know. the Miyazakis. Exactly. I mean, pretty much exclusively that. But I've seen other stuff, too, like Ninja Scroll and, and, and a variety of other things. Um, but yeah, not too much into, into series, uh, like, like, TV series, and, and definitely not manga. I've never read a manga in my life. Um. So. Well, if you well, ever want to give One Piece a try, I will talk about it. There are a lot of good entry-level things. Like, there is, if you want really, really entry-level, there is a lot of Shonen Jump stuff, like the One Piece and the Naruto's of the right, world. Right. If you want Whoa, something not classic... not the One Pieces. It is just One Piece. And I'm not <laughs> Actually, saying, yeah, I'm there, not saying there, there are like two Naruto's. Boy. I'm not saying that's like a fanboy. I'm saying that, like, it is what is the, like, highest-selling manga of, like, all time. But it, so there are the Shonen Jumps, which are very accessible God to people of all ages, and then there are the classic ones like the Hokuto no Ken, uh, Fist of the North Star, which is surprisingly extremely accessible if you want something that isn't made to uh, accommodate anyone below the age of thirteen at all, because it moves super fast and the action is pretty extreme compared to a lot of the more modern stuff. I, I just think it's so badass. I just think Fist of the North Star is so badass. I, I'm, I've been having a blast reading it. But in general, if you want to try a manga at all ever, there are apps, uh, specifically one called uh, Pocket Manga or Pocket Manga Reader. But just basically look up Manga Reader on uh, the App Store or the Google Play. And you can get these apps where you can read pretty much any manga you want for completely free. And I, I think it's legal because no one's taken any of this stuff down yet. So if you ever want to read something, just download a simple app and you can read as much as you want on your phone for completely free. Hmm. I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's an amazing world, uh, anime and manga is, I've discovered. Because it's basically like video games, except you don't have to put effort into playing them. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. There goes my rambling. I'm done. But I just, I am excited about something this week. This has been the summer of anime for you. Summer or manga, manga specifically, I guess. Sure. Guys, we're really <laughs> opening up a lot here today. <laughs> yeah, we're really getting uh, deep. Learning more about ourselves, about each yeah. other. Oh my god, guys, <laughs> this is a breakthrough yeah. episode. <laughs>
ahead and move on to a few listener questions. Um, like I said, we got these, uh, one from email and a few from Twitter. Um, let's start with the email one. Um, this is from, uh, Tim Chatton. He says, hello there. During one of the Treehouse live segments, uh, Reggie went on to discuss his 3DS issue. He was complaining about having to juggle two systems, one from work and his personal system. Uh, the segment ended with him joking that he needed a 3DS holster to use both. Am I the only one extremely saddened that this wasn't used to lead up to Reggie announcing some kind of unified account system? I collect 3DSs, uh, so out of my 10 or so systems, I can only really use one at a time. I can only have it, or I can only have my uh, Nintendo Network ID used on one 3DS and one Wii U. To swap 3DSs, I have to do system transfers, so I don't swap out systems that often. It seems that Reggie understands the frustration of not being able to more fluidly use more than one system, but just laughs it off instead of doing something about it. It seems that Nintendo uh, would make more hardware money if they encouraged a single owner to own multiple systems instead of the outliers like me that collect them. Uh, would love to hear your thoughts. Was this just Reggie trolling, or is Nintendo just that oblivious? Keep up the good work. Um, My thought is, and I didn't see the specific segment, but to me, a lot of the Treehouse stuff was a little kind of unscripted, a little off the cuff. My thought is this was him just kind of joking around without anything anything at all behind it. Yeah, I uh I got the exact same vibe from that. And Reggie especially loves to have a have a good unscripted joke now and again. Yeah. Even though he's probably heavily prepared before every single event and those unscripted jokes are maybe a little less unscripted than some of us might think. But he does usually like to have a lot of fun and I think this was him just having fun. However, I do think we are very very close, maybe not uh next year, but maybe next few years to having something very closer to unified systems. And I think in the next 10 years, Nintendo will be up to standard with everyone else. And I'm sorry that I have to say next 10 years, but I'm just trying to be on the safe side. <laughs> 10 years is, is quite a bit. But, well, Alex, I mean, you, I have a Vita, but uh, you would know more about it than me. Can you easily jump from one Vita to the next and have all uh, access to all your all your stuff? Vita is surprisingly restricted, even compared to the PlayStation 3. I, I've never owned two Vitas. I only have the one I got, like, back in 2012. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't have too much exact experience. But I do know for a fact that to simply change regions, you have to use a completely different uh, memory card, and you have to use... Uh, base you have to basically reset your system just to change region, which is why some people, even though it's region-free, they own two Vitas just so they don't have to worry about that. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure, like, that shit is locked down. I, I think it's because of the piracy that was on PSP. The PSP was, like, yeah, like, a piracy. I mean, one of those Ps might have well been privacy <laughs> PlayStation instead of PlayStation. Piracy. Yeah. Uh, I, do th I do praise the Vita for having uh, such a good, like, online infrastructure in general. Mm -hmm that uh, the accounts between the PS4 and PS3 and PS Vita are extremely unified. I think they still have a similar issue to uh, the 3DS. At least in the sense that once you have a Vita, it's hard to use two Vitas at once for the same account. Yeah, now, and, and it sounds like one of his issues is, is strictly the linking of the Nintendo Network ID. So, and I imagine the Vita is probably more flexible with this, that I bet you could probably still log into your PlayStation Network account on a different Vita. Now, that might not give you access to, like, download all your Vita games on now this other Vita without without having to do something. I just um, think, I'm pretty sure it's one system at once. I, I could be completely wrong, and I'm sure if I am, someone will tell us. 
Yeah. But uh, I would be surprised if Sony allowed two different systems to download the exact same uh, content at once. Right. So yeah, I don't see I don't see that happening. But if uh, Tim here is talking about like, well, he's not so much concerned with transferring games between all the systems, but just even having like his Nintendo Network ID and having uh, his me and all that kind of stuff, his friends list uh, go from 3DS to 3DS, even if he's even if it's not the games themselves. That seems that seems reasonable um that you would be able to do that um but yeah i don't even think i don't think you can do that i mean yeah, well i know you can't you can only have it linked to one system and like you saying you'd have to do a system transfer to even like log into your nintendo network id on a different 3ds yeah um, i i think what he wants uh is probably asking a little bit too much of nintendo and i'm saying this because if you could use one account to uh basically uh support 10 different systems (laughs) i could imagine that there are people who would basically like two friends make one 3ds account and oh boy we get to use each other's games and we get to game share extremely easy with no penalties right and in this perfect world of tim's uh 10 different people able to use one account now i don't know if people would actually go that far but it seems like it's actually going one step beyond what game sharing used to be on PlayStation 3, where people could sign into other people's accounts and download games without much penalty. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's what it sounds like to me. So it's not something I'm all that worried about. But I, but I mean, I guess also I don't... I mean, I play my 3DS, obviously, but I don't own more than one 3DS, and so this isn't really a big uh, issue for me. Now, I know it's too bad we don't have Zach Miller on here. I know he has a few 3DSs that I think he, he uses, if I'm not mistaken. I think he might still use his regular one, and then he's got his XL, too. Um, I'm pretty sure I remember him talking about, because he played Zelda on one, and then was going to have to start over or something to play on the other, uh, something like that. But I don't know. It, it's it's not something I'm overly worried about um, outside of, like, say, replacing Lost Systems or something like that. Um I imagine if you lose your your Vita, it's probably a lot easier to buy a new Vita and get all your stuff back than it is to get a new 3DS and get all your stuff back. I mean, as we've documented on this show and on Radio Free Nintendo, I mean, it's it's a long process working with Nintendo to get all your content back. Um, when really all that stuff should just be tied to your account from the get go. But sure, yeah, I, I guess in my mind, it is more likely that they'll make a 3DS holster than support <laughs> letting you you know <laughs> jump from 3DS to 3DS. Um, you know, as you want with your Nintendo Network ID. So See, that's what I wanted to talk about. Why are we not talking about the fact that Reggie probably does have a holster like the Old West for two 3DSs? <laughs> Why are we not imagining Reggie dressed up like a cowboy walking around Nintendo America with two 3DSs, pulling them out and using them like guns? Yeah. Also, I, I imagine I would kind it of would like have that. to be the size of a wrestling belt, though. I'm okay with that. <laughs> it's like, it's like, oh, yeah. like why are you trying to dissuade me? Because he's a businessman. This isn't going to dissuade me at all. <laughs> leave me, leave um, me to my images. Yeah, you should Photoshop that sometime. If I had the skills and Photoshop, I'd, it'd already be done. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Um, let's move on to the next question. Uh, this comes from uh, Yager, I guess. Jaeger? 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 I guess Jaeger, because his, his account is shot of Jaeger, so um assume it's Jaeger, not like Jaeger, like the hockey player. But Jaeger uh, like asked, the Titan Killer? 
Uh, yeah, there you go. He asks if there's any advantage to owning Game Boy slash Game Boy Color Originals over virtual console versions on 3DS. Um, you know, I'm not that huge into the emulation scene, um, even the official emulation scene, you know, supported by Nintendo and, and other platforms to really know the difference. But it is uh, what I hear kind of universally is that the um, the emulation on the 3DS is is pretty good. Um, I think you have the same aspect ratio. You can stretch it if you want, but I think you can also play with the bars across the side. I think they even have the, right, can't you have, like, the Game Boy, the actual Game Boy, like, border around the, uh, around the image, like the old, like, gray Game Boy, the brick? I'm pretty sure you can. Um, so I believe the emulation is pretty good in that regard. Um, and I don't think there's, um, really any problems. So, no, I think it's, it's fine. I mean, if you own a Game Boy and just want to collect them, that's fine. But if something's, a, excuse me, if something's available on the 3DS, um, you know, e, uh, virtual console, I don't think there's any any problem with playing it on there. Yeah, um, most of them, uh, there's a lot of good ports. I mean, it's not, it's not, I don't think anyone's really complaining about that. But like, as a guy who, I, I love my portable games. I love my Game Boys. I love, I've been collecting them. Getting, I mean, I just get the new one every time a new system comes out. But like, I don't know. I, I've I've heard word because I don't collect I don't collect games that I already like have beaten eighteen times over on my 3ds. Like I didn't rebuy uh, Warrior World. I'm thinking about getting three though. Warrior World three was amazing. But like I don't know. Like I, I Pokemon trading card game still isn't out there. Wolverine's Revenge isn't still out there. Mm-hmm. Um, like there are a bunch of great Game Boy games that still aren't out there, and it's just like you know those those will always hold a place in my heart. But a little part of me is like worried that if they ever do like they there are all these like hacks and cheats that you know were like staples of the game and i'm afraid they're gonna get like taken out because you know sometimes when when these games get re-released uh some little things that seem insignificant but were really a big part of the game get removed and it kind of takes away from the uh the experience a little bit at least for me i don't know yeah that's fair uh what about you alex do you have any experience with this well, I think uh, there's certain trade-offs. The trade-off with uh, Game Boy cartridges is that you get to play it as it was originally made, as it was originally sold, uh, with resale value, and you can probably sell it for quite a bit of money. On the other hand, you got the 3DS Virtual Console, where the games look almost as good, uh, with even a few little graphical twists, and the games cost a lot cheaper, and they're a lot more portable than the Game Boy probably ever was. So there is that trade-off, but it's, I think, uh, there's always that slimy, uh, emulation third option, where you just download a bunch of ROMs, and in that option, which is always the best solution, uh, just from a monetary standpoint, you can make the games look better, you can play, uh, mods that never existed on the original cartridge, like Pokemon Brown. Oh god. And you can actually you can actually make the games look better and you can play them however you want with whatever controls you want on the PC. You mean like so uh, the, like the, day, the Pokemon randomizers? It's this question is basically a fight between second and third place. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, however, in the fight between second and third place, I think the 3DS is probably a better option to me. But I mean, get real, right? I I don't mean that. Uh, not to not to the person asking the question. Just I mean, 
at the end of the day, we all know who the winner is. Yeah. <laughs> you know who you are, winner. We don't need to say it. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, there you go. But if your concern is in, in terms of the quality of the emulation, I've never had or heard of any uh, big issues with playing Game Boy Color or the original Game Boy on the 3DS Virtual Console. So... Yeah, so I wouldn't I wouldn't worry about that. There's been really bad official emulation in the past, but I I don't think that's the case here. Um, you know what's really emulated well on the 3DS too are the Game Gear games. He didn't ask about that, but um, those are those are really well done on the 3DS and actually support like a few uh, different options, like more options than the uh, the Game Boy and Game Boy Color games. So, um, look into those too if you want to play some of those classic Game Gear games. There aren't many classic Game Gear games, but there's some. I'm just looking for the Virtual Boy games, man. One of those coming yeah. out. That's a no-brainer. Those really sh- like, what <laughs> is keeping them? Wait, are you kidding me? Like, well, no, I'm, I'm just thinking about it, because Virtual Boy emulation does exist, and if, like, some people on, like, the internet can do it, I'm sure Nintendo can. Yeah, but it was like, there was no reason to play those games aside from shoving your face into infrared. <laughs> well, there's, there's the Wario game, which was supposedly pretty good. Mario, uh, I think it was Clash, at least has the appeal of being... A part of history. There's Mario Tennis. There's Nestor's Funky Bowling. There's at least a few games they could release on a Virtual Boy console, even if they put the work in uh, to make it 3D. That would especially be worthwhile. I think, and I'm I want this to come out at some point, but I think the success of the Virtual Console has changed a lot over the past uh, what I guess seven years now, no eight years. God, since 2006 when it launched with the Wii, and I think the sort of lack of new games on Virtual Console and the very conservative approach to Virtual Console uh, kind of suggests that bringing over smaller uh, or even unknown games, importing games like they, they did on the Wii a few times, um, isn't really that lucrative for Nintendo and it really isn't worth the trouble. I mean, the fact that all the games that were supported on the Wii from other consoles, not even Nintendo consoles, none of that has come to the Wii U. Um, you know, we have Game Gear games on the 3DS, but that's it. Um, I think really suggests that putting in this kind of effort just isn't worth it. There's not enough return on it. So while some of the Virtual Boy games might be okay and, and kind of gimmicky and people would probably give it a go, at least some people would, I don't. I think internally they know it's not worth the trouble. It's not worth spending the time and the money to do it. So they're not going to do it. Um, I really like, I, I want like a full expose in the Virtual uh console at some point because i think it has really uh the focus has changed and i think that that change in focus suggests that it's not quite the service we think it is at least in terms of like success and making money that's my take i don't know but it's weird how much i mean if you look at like where the virtual console was going in the first few years of the wii and where it is now it is taking a big step back and it's not just the virtual console even across other systems i mean after the virtual console was catching on like you saw xbox live like a million different old games get ported to like Xbox Live, you know, Sonic games and Doom and like a variety of uh, of old games, and that's kind of gone now, right? I mean, Xbox One and PS4 aren't getting like ports of like Sega games or Super Nintendo games no, or like, arcade games, but like PS3 has like such or PlayStation Sony alone has like such a huge backlog of games that like it's always been there. Like they've always had Final Fantasy Tactics and all the Final Fantasy games like that alone well yeah but that's the same i mean nintendo will always have mario games i mean those are the money makers yeah right? yeah so i'm saying like they're not porting of that many big games out there because i i mean most of the really big ones have already been ported i mean granted there's a few glaring uh uh, uh whatchamacallit uh holes such as you know 
Rogues. Heart Gold Soul Silver. When is that going to be downloadable? Because I want it really badly. <laughs> Guys, I'm really into Pokemon. I'm not sure if any of you have read any of my stuff or heard me talk ever, but Pokemon Heart Gold <laughs> yeah. Soul Silver. Let's let's get on that. I will pay lots of money to have that with me at all times. Yeah. And in 3D. Yeah, I don't know. And but having I mean, even... a 3D Pokemon travel with me all the time. And even not... having Shinies more available to me. And I'm done. Okay. I mean, it was, even with the Sony stuff, though, they still haven't... Uh, yet, like, on PS4, you can't play any PS1 uh, classics yet. I know. Well, I of... can't believe that. I thought that'd be... There's like... also PlayStation Now rolling out, which is built explicitly for that purpose. Right, which is where more than likely where that's going to... Um where that's going to show up. But, I mean, I, I'm thinking of, like, especially third-party stuff across all these platforms. I, I feel like you're just not seeing that as much um, now. I well, think the first-party stuff will be there, and, like, the, the of course, Final Fantasy, the big stuff will be there, just like Nintendo's going to have all its big first-party things. Um, are we talking about Sony or Nintendo specifically right now? All of them. I think across the board, you're seeing... I think across the board, you're seeing a big... Uh, like pullback from this sort of retro revival that we were seeing in like 2007 and 2008. I mean, like every every week across PSN, Xbox Live, and Virtual Console, you were seeing like a variety of different retro games get released, and that just isn't the case anymore. Well, Atlas is just supporting everyone now uh, on the digital platforms, yeah. Specifically here because just uh, every few weeks now, it feels like they got a new PS2 classic, whether it be Persona 4 or SMT3 or the Kuzanoa, I think it's pronounced games. Wait, is, is, uh, wait, is they've Persona been supporting 4 on those... uh, PlayStation 3 yet? What? Is Persona 4 on PlayStation 3? Yes, it is. What? It's not Persona 4 Golden, it's the PS2 game. Yeah. But yeah. you can get it for 10 bucks right now. What? Yep. I recently was going back for Persona 3. Guys, what is my life? The more, the more <laughs> I'm talking about video games, the more I'm realizing maybe I don't go out enough. <laughs> well, it's about to be filled with Persona 4. Yeah, man. Yeah. Let's do it. We got another question, don't we, Scott? One we more. Do. We do. We, we do? have one more. Uh, yes. Um, this, do we even have, you know, I don't see the person's name on here. You originally had it. I think it got cut off. Um, oh. Oh, okay, this is from Peter Stockwell, yeah. Okay. Uh, he says, what's your favorite game that you didn't like the first time you played it but came to appreciate later in life? Man, that's a tough one. Does anyone have any ideas? I mean, just, Alex, you saw the question early. Did you think of something? Yes, I, I, I was thinking uh, a couple questions ago about this one, just so I have something locked and loaded. And the best answer I have to this is the Phoenix Wright game. Oh. Because I originally played Phoenix Wright 1 uh, using methods uh, back in like 2008. And then I, uh, I played it. I wasn't like smart enough to understand the challenge of that game. So I ended up using a walkthrough on it a lot and i didn't get to appreciate it at its fullest and then i played it i left it alone for a few years and i was like ah that was okay now fast forward to last year i say to myself you know what now i want to give phoenix wright the time it deserves so i buy physical copies of all four of the original phoenix wright games and the uh edgeworth investigations and i cram through at least the first four main games over a few weeks in a span of 80 hours of gameplay. Uh, no walkthrough usage at all, really. And I ended up having one of the best times of my life with this series. Like, it ended up being the type of adventure game made for me. 
And by the time the fifth game came around, I ended up doing 90 minutes of connectivity discussion with James <laughs> Jones just about the fifth game in the series. That's right, yeah. So I, like, at the time, I didn't get into it fully. But six, five or six years later, I'm all in. Nice. Um, no, I don't know about anything, at least not recently, that I've sort of actively... Uh, not liked and then got back into although maybe alex maybe you'll have your wish and that'll happen uh with dark souls and me we'll see yeah. um my one wish for anything ever in life yeah uh for you to get into dark souls <laughs> uh well, well after i recorded last week um with zach about pc gaming and um and everything like that our friend of the show travis he's going to send me his old xbox uh, 360 controller uh that he uses on his pc because he got an xbox one one so I will I will hook it up. I will reinstall Dark Souls, and I will see if it goes any smoother with the controller versus the keyboard and mouse. So we'll see how that goes. Um, but other than that, I mean, nothing that I like actively didn't like, but stuff that I just sort of fell out of at the time and then went back to finish. I mean, it's funny we already mentioned it, but Persona Four, um, I was playing on my uh, PlayStation, my backwards compatible PlayStation Three for a while, and then. I don't know what happened. I guess just life stuff got in the way, and I, I completely fell out of it and never finished it. I probably played, like, maybe 20 to 30 hours um, and enjoyed it. I mean, had fun with it, but just completely fell out of it. And then when I got my Vita, I got golden on, on Vita and, like, completely played through it uh, last winter. And, I mean, loved it, of course. Um, so there was that. And then I think when I was real young, um, another game, I mean, I adore it now, but Earthbound, I think... And it might have been a product of age, too, but it it didn't really click with me right away. I mean, when I got it, I would have been 10 or maybe 11 by that point. And I know I didn't end up beating it for the first time probably until I was, like, 13 uh, or 14. So I, I think I just it just wasn't for me at the time. And then as I got a little older, um, then I, I really appreciate it. And now, of course, I, I adore it. So, so that's that. Uh, Josh, what about you? Do you have something like that? Yeah, actually, I uh, when I was when I was a wee lad, uh, a friend of mine had Final Fantasy Tactics Advance, and thought, mm-hmm. I thought it was like freaking stupid, <laughs> uh, and I just like didn't get it. And then I remember when I was like, I think God, when did it come out? Like two thousand? No, I don't know, man. Whenever I remember, like the year after it came out, I uh, that same year, like. A few months after I played it, I just was like, I got a little bit of money and Tactics is on sale on like Amazon or something. I'll just pick it up. Like, let's do it. And I Mm. got it. And I absolutely loved it. Like, I loved Final Fantasy Tactics Advance. Like, that is like one of my like all time favorite games. Like, that really, I've I've beaten that game over and over and over again, even though it takes takes, like so many hours to do it. It is just such an amazing game. Uh, so this is this is Tactics Advance. Yeah, hmm. yeah. I didn't like it at first, and now I just like I bought Tactics Advance two. If they make another one, I'll buy that. If it's already out and, I, and I'm just not aware of it, I'll go out and buy it after I'm done. Have you podcast. have you played the original Tactics? I did. I downloaded it on my PS3, and I like the original now, was Tactics. It, now was it after you played Advance? Yeah. So what do you how are you how do you compare the two? Which do you like more? I like Advance more, but that's it's just because it was a more like fully developed like uh, job system. You know, like, I don't know, like, it's it had a lot more, I I liked Tactics, I really did, I thought it was a really yeah. good game now, but it's like, I don't know, Advance, Advance was made to be like, you know, you be, you do a job, you put it in your, you put it in your pocket, turn it off, save it, like, come back to it later, 
But tactics for the PlayStation, I feel like you really just need to sit down and like play through a chunk of story. Well, yeah, it's obviously yeah, it is not at all a mobile game. Um, I, it's funny. I didn't really like Advanced. I never beat it. But Final Fantasy Tactics Advanced Two on the DS yeah. was like it totally pulled me in. Really, and I, I love the original. I really love the original Tactics. Didn't like Advanced, but Advanced Two, I easily put a hundred hours in. Like I could grab my maybe later. I'll grab the the card. I still have it. I'll throw it in my uh, my three DS and and pull up my my save file and see how long it is. But I I easily crossed the hundred hour mark. Which for me like never happens anymore. But that game really did uh, suck me in. No, I really like Advance. That's what too. I'm talking about though. Like Advance you just it just basically built on Advance. Like uh, excuse me, I'm just going through puberty. <laughs> um sorry guys, I'm actually a fourteen year old boy. Um so I uh no, but it, 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 it didn't really add anything new for me, you know, Advance Two. It it very much is built on a world that was already uh like so solidified for me. Well, what I like about Advance 2 is, if I'm remembering correctly, I feel like the judge system wasn't quite as restrictive it was, as it was in Advance. It wasn't at all. Yeah, like, like Advanced, you could start a battle, and it could just be like, you can't use anything. Have fun. Yeah, and I'd be like, all right, let's do it. How am I going to win this one? <laughs> I'll throw items at all my enemies, I guess. Hey, that was so much fun. That was so much fun. Oh, hey, I have like, you know, 42 po- uh, ethers or potions. I'm never going to yeah. use them. I have a healer. Let's just throw them. <laughs> Yeah, and then the next fight, you can't use any healing spells and have to use healing items, and then now you're all out of items. Which, hey, I don't know. that's yeah. my fault for not planning ahead. <laughs> I'm just not so, realizing this may have been an abusive relationship. Yeah, it, it sounds like it. <laughs> that's, that was on me. Me, me yeah. messing up? Oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. But um, other than the judge system, yeah, I, I enjoy it, and I, I feel like they refined it a little bit more in advance, too, and um, it made it made it better yeah. so if they ever come out with another one i'd be very excited to see where they go from here because last time they, they added in two new races with like three jobs a piece and i mm-hmm. was like all right i mean i didn't really use them i pretty much just stuck to my like what, what they were called bangas right is that how you say them out loud i've only read them which ones the ones the, the lizard people that you they got. oh yeah i think that's right yeah i know who you're talking about i don't yeah, know they look like giant it, yeah, yeah, this lizards, is, yeah this is the this is one of those times where you read a word over and over again and you're like yeah that's how it sounds and then you say it out loud for the first time and you're like oh wait i like i might be saying something like super offensive yeah like yeah so that's what's happening right now but yeah i pretty yeah. much just had like a clan of them and like and like uh the vieras just basically like those two and that's it and then yeah. like i'd be like who needs humans except for ninjas <laughs> <laughs> that's enough to talk about this that's been uh final fantasy tactics uh hour this is, yeah, this is josh go. max <laughs> signing off signing off all right well there you go um so there were more questions we'll get to them next week because there were some good questions um that we didn't get to um if you would like to send us questions at always you can do that uh, as always you can do that uh by sending them to connectivity and nintendoworldreport.com or just tweet them to us i guess that worked pretty well today most of them were tweets um let's go through and do a twitter roll call here well first of all you should follow nintendo world report on twitter uh it's nintendo underscore nwr a good twitter account to follow uh i'm okay soda the letters okay and the word soda uh josh what about you uh, i'm josh b max but i pretty much just josh tweet bad jokes <laughs> i feel like there'll be like weeks at a time where i don't see you tweeting at all and then like there'll be a day where you're just like i'm gonna kill it today pretty and much yeah you just like yeah you, you just tweet like the most like random best stuff. Um, Alex, what about you? My Twitter is at C U L A F I A Kulafia Kulafia. However you prefer. 
there you go. Yeah, it's his last name and then A from Alex. There you go. Yeah. Um, so yeah, thanks for listening. Send us some more uh, questions and letters and all that good stuff. And uh, yeah, we will uh, talk to you guys later. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Don't forget you can send your listener mail questions to connectivity at nintendoworldreport.com. And if you've got a moment, we'd love it if you would rate and review the show on iTunes. Now stay tuned for a bonus segment on Godzilla featuring Zach and Johnny Metz. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a special segment of Connectivity. I'm going to be your host for this one. I'm Jonathan Betts. Hello, I'm on Connectivity. And uh, joining me for this bonus segment is Mr. Zachary Miller. Hello, hello. And uh, Zach and I are are joining forces today to talk about Godzilla, uh, or probably more appropriately, Zach is going to talk about Godzilla, and I'm going to ask him (laughs) questions. So the format of this will probably be similar to the space Q&A that I do with Scott, uh, and I'll be playing the role of Scott on this one. And uh, we wanted to talk about the biology, the anatomy, the evolution of of Godzilla as seen in the new movie. Is that right, Zach? That is right. All right. Well, I know very little about uh, biology or anatomy, so I'm going to play the straight man here and uh, and sort of cue you up, but... Uh, Zach, I guess one way I'd like to get started, just because I'm curious how you would respond to this, but obviously uh, most people know that you're an expert on dinosaurs. Is Godzilla a dinosaur? That is a good question, Johnny. Uh, you know, in the in the old Toho movies, he is a dinosaur. Uh, he's a semi-aquatic dinosaur who was revived by the nuclear tests in 1954. He wasn't uh, created by the nuclear tests? No, in fact, in one of the later Toho movies, he is a uh, a Godzilla-saurus, <laughs> a, a late surviving dinosaur who survives on an island in Japan, uh, off the coast of Japan, and the nuclear tests mutate him and make him huge and radioactive. Oh, interesting. Okay. It, it's one and, of the worst Godzilla movies, but that's his canonical origin. <laughs> and in the new movie that just came out this summer, um, I think also he's it, – it's sort of implied that he is very ancient and has been hibernating underwater. Yep. And uh, and the nuclear tests of the 50s sort of woke him up and, uh, and in particular um, – the uh, I guess the awakening of the Mutos, which are the bad the bad monsters in that movie. Um, I guess those are really what set him off because he That's detects true. the radiation somehow. Yeah, I think he hears them echolocate too. Oh, okay. I, I wasn't real positive on that. They kind of glossed over how he got involved. Well, why would you think that he would be attracted to radiation? Well, I I think the whole radiation thing is dumb. Honestly, uh, no living animal absorbs radiation as an energy source. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it kills you. Um, <laughs> uh, but also, it's not really a. It doesn't have substance. You know, it's not something you metabolize. Well, there's uh, two different there's two different kinds of radiation from my experience in space. There's uh, electromagnetic radiation, which includes things like light and radio waves and microwaves oh, yeah, and X-rays yeah. and gamma rays. And there's also particulate radiation, which is like alpha particles, beta particles. And that's more like the usually heavy radiation that's being given off by unstable uh, atoms. 
uh, and uh, as they decay over time, usually they're isotopes, I think, and as they decay over time, they cast off these uh, these little bits of matter and energy that we call radiation. Those are those are right. generally considered to be the more dangerous of the two, and you know, like I I think it's it's not that much of a stretch to imagine that a creature might be able to absorb that energy somehow um but like they kind of talk about that's what the monsters are doing in this movie but you don't ever really see them do that do you no you don't and and like when the when one of the mutos gave the other one a um, <clears throat> like a nuclear bomb uh or a torpedo or whatever it was uh it just held it and i thought it's is it just giving off radiation and you're absorbing it? What's happening right now? Yeah, does it have to eat it to absorb the energy? Yeah, exactly. Like the one on on Hawaii ate the the bombs uh, mm -hmm. that were in the submarine, but the other one didn't do anything with them. And are are bombs like that radioactive before they're activated? Yeah, they they are. I mean, they contain uranium or and or plutonium. So yeah, they're radioactive, okay. uh, and they're they're heavily shielded. So you can be near them. Uh, part part of the reason they're shielded is not only to protect uh, you know workers who might be around them, but also to protect the different components from each other. Because you're, the goal of these nuclear bombs is that you know once you once you trigger them to detonate you're basically having different materials and and I don't I'm not an expert on this stuff at all but my understanding is you're basically causing a few different materials to combine, combine. and yeah. and be heated up probably to sort of facilitate some kind of reaction and then once they do they release all this stored energy so they it, kind of like chemicals that you mix in and cause a rocket to you know combust and and fire uh, nuclear fission is what we is what we do with these, and uh, you're basically causing the stored potential nuclear energy that's within these materials to uh, to be released through a you know a very energetic reaction. Yeah. Okay. Well, I suppose you know. If so they they contain a lot of energy. I mean, if you okay. if you're a beast that feeds on energy, then it makes sense you would get that. It's it's weird because like. When you think of eating something, you think of turning matter into energy, and I guess these creatures would be more like direct energy absorbers. Yeah, which I guess is really more I guess like plants, plants absorb yeah. sunlight. Yeah, so plants I guess that or, could work. Yeah, yeah. Or I just I wonder if some if bacteria like, maybe, but yeah, yeah, maybe. Well, there are. Yeah, that I think there might be. Of course, plants absorb matter as well, mostly from the air and water. Yeah, and water from water. Water is used more as a as a. Uh, sort of a, a sweep fluid um, to transport minerals uh, through through the plant. Sure. I don't think plants really absorb water so much as they they pa it passes through them like dirt through an earthworm. So the plants well, are actually like really good at filtering system. water. Yeah. Yes, yes. They don't have yeah. their own fluids, so they, they use water to uh, to pass things around. <clears throat> yeah. Well, then I wonder if like – I wonder if – it would be feasible if there's enough radioacti radioactive materials being given off at any one time. Could something like Godzilla exist deep in an ocean trench somewhere and survive? I don't know. I mean, it's an uh, it's an interesting idea that a creature could be mutated <laughs> by energy and then evolve and or I guess evolve uh, in such a way as to use that energy as food. Essentially, yeah. maybe they'll explore that in one of the sequels. Yeah, I mean, it, it, the whole idea probably comes from an era back in the 50s when 
we really didn't know much about radioactivity. If I could take a quick tangent, I can tell you a funny story. Do it. Um, <clears throat> I had a professor back at uh, Auburn University where uh, where I got my first couple degrees in aerospace. Um, but back in the 50s, this guy was really old and, and in the process of retiring. But uh, back in the late 50s, there really wasn't aerospace engineering. That wasn't really a field that existed until the early 60s uh, with the uh, advent of NASA. Yeah. And so back in the in the late 50s, the coolest like avant-garde engineering field was nuclear engineering. And of course, in the wake of World War II and the atomic bomb, there's a lot of interest in this stuff. A lot of people were scared by it, but there was also a lot of promise. We didn't really understand fallout at the time. In fact, Godzilla was almost like a like a it's almost like a, a message movie um, to oh, teach yeah. people about fallout and, and what the dangers of fallout, right? But yeah. at the in the fifties, we didn't really understand fallout very much. It hadn't been studied. It was a sort of unintended consequence of of nuclear technology. And uh, and my professor said that his first job, which I believe was with the Army Corps of Engineers back in the fifties, was to uh, work on a project where they were going to use uh, atomic bombs to dig canals. Oh, I read about this. Yeah, which is really That's funny. If you, I mean, if you if you don't understand Fallout, it makes perfect sense. They're like giant versions of TNT. So yeah. you can dig enormous uh, ruts in the earth with this and cause water to flow through it, except the water will then be poisoned for thousands and thousands of years. <laughs> the other right. thing he said is that the Army was at one time developing a nuclear mortar, and they abandoned it when they found out that the blast radius of the shells was actually larger than the uh, than the arc that the mortar could throw the shell. So the person who launched it would be oh, killed by the blast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So they they obviously never saw Starship Troopers. <laughs> so anyway, um, <clears throat> so as a dinosaur, if God if we assume that Godzilla is a dinosaur, what sticks he out might not to you? Be. Does he? Sure, but let's presume that he <laughs> is. Um, what sticks out to you in terms of his morphology? Does he look like other dinosaurs? Is he? Does he seem like he, his design is based on existing dinosaurs, or is it kind of a, a conglomeration of different characteristics? Well, I think his you know originally his design was based on a T Rex crossed with a Stegosaurus, uh, and I think this new movie, the new Godzilla tries to stay true to that while also uh, being more biologically plausible. He doesn't look necessarily like any particular kind of dinosaur. In fact, uh, his his head is not as big as you'd expect. If we assume he's carnivorous, and maybe he's not, if we, if, if we, if he was a dinosaur, more on expect, that later. <laughs> yeah. We'd expect his head to be much larger. Like you think of T-Rex or, or Allosaurus, they have really big heads that are, you know, about as big as their torso. Mm. But Godzilla's got a little head. Um, and, and I think, uh, he's also got, uh, four fingers and I think four toes and all these big scoots and scales along his back that aren't really present in, in carnivorous dinosaurs. Uh, so, you know, he might be a relic of the, uh, some extinct crocodilian line. Uh, those, those animals did, uh, some of them had smaller heads than you'd expect at, at full size and they had tons of armor on their backs. Uh, so I, I wouldn't be opposed to him being a, you know, a, a stem crocodile. Now the 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 large panels that stick out from Godzilla's back that I I would agree they look a lot like a stegosaurus but from my understanding 
is correct on Stegosaurus, those aren't really armor. They're more for heat control, right? They they basically give the, the animal a lot more surface area from which to sort of radiate heat. True. That is a that was a leading theory. Um, now the leading theory is that uh, they're for display. And here's why. Hmm. Uh, different stegosaurs have different plate configurations and sizes and shapes. And you'd think if it was primarily for heat exchange, they'd kind of figure out the best one and they'd all have it, right? I guess it would depend on the environment. That's true. But it, I, I kind of like the idea of them being radiator panels for Godzilla, especially because yeah. he, uh, you know, he, he has this ability to, you know, sort of produce a lot of electrical, presumably electrical, maybe it's nuclear energy, and do this big mouth energy blast. Right. But I, I kind of like the idea of that, like having a lot of byproduct heat that he needs to get rid of somehow. Yeah, and it radiates off of his bl- his glowing spines. I actually right. and like those, that idea a lot. Those spines do always kind of become active when he's getting ready to to do the energy blast, right? Yeah. So they do seem associated with each other somehow. Yeah, I'll bet you're right. That's that's pretty good. All right. I like cool. that idea. Now, did how so in the new movie, Godzilla is shown uh I mean obviously he's been living underwater for a long time. You see him swimming a lot for like thousands of miles without ever really coming up. Do you think does, – does he have gills that you were able to make out or do you think he might be more amphibious and like breathing through his skin? No, he's got gills. You can see him in, in some of the shots. Um, there is a, a picture on the internet, one of the uh, press release photos of just Godzilla's upper torso from the side. And if you look up on his neck, you can see like four or five uh, gill plates. And there are a few spots in the movie where you can see him breathe deeply in the gill plates arch and go back down. Now, do and dinosaurs have gills? No, uh, no tetrapod aside from uh, some salamanders have external gills uh, hmm. as adults. Okay. Or even juveniles. Sa- salamanders are amphibious though, aren't they? Uh, yeah, they are. The, the amphibious ones are the ones that retain gills in adulthood. Okay, some yeah, because they, they're more kind of more like tadpoles yeah. when they're young, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because <laughs> I was thinking that, that like, I want to I say, like, almost no modern animals other than fish have gills. It's a very yep. unusual feature. I mean, it's kind of like, uh, you know, animals other than birds don't have feathers. You know, it's like, it's very, right. it's, it's adapted very specifically for the kind of environment that they live in. So, um now we do all still we all have gills uh in, in the embryo and they mm. close up in uh in tetrapods fairly early but you know I can see you know if if we're talking about a large marine uh reptile uh it it's not too far out of your imagination that uh some lineage retained the gills after birth Sure, like a, like an well, alligator. I mean, alligators don't yeah. have gills, but it wouldn't be that weird if they did because they spend yeah, a lot exactly. of their lives in the water, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's not really all that crazy. It's it's as crazy as a 350-foot-tall giant crocodile. <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah, sure. So I, I'm curious. I mean – they, you know, Godzilla is, is sort of billed as the king of all monsters, um, and I and I think a lot of the design by the movie makers is meant to reinforce that idea. But 
you know, obviously animals evolve, so they don't, they aren't designed by, by diktat like that. You, you don't give them a slogan and then make the monster <laughs> look like the slogan. So right. does, does it make any sense to you that Godzilla could evolve to be that large? I mean, what, what would drive him to be that large? Well, huh. there are two things that drive large body size. Um, generally, uh, competition, intraspecific competition. And Oreos. And Oreos. Uh, or uh, uh, if your prey is getting bigger, you need to get bigger too. Right. But does that, Godzilla have prey? No, apparently he does not have prey. <laughs> Maybe he used to have prey. Maybe his lineage used to have prey, but not anymore. But, you know, even if that's, I mean, no animal can... It's it's physically impossible for an animal to even approach the size of Godzilla. It would it would simultaneously, you know, explode, melt every cartilage cap in its joints would blow. Uh, there have been a lot of studies done on both. You'd be surprised both the old Godzilla and the Matthew Broderick Godzilla about the feasibility of an animal that large and. Uh, the math doesn't work out <laughs> any which way. Really? <laughs> oh, yeah. There's... I mean, he's obviously much bigger than like a blue <sighs> whale, for instance. But yeah. is, is there but... is there something specific about the size of an animal like the blue whale, which I think is the largest mammal on Earth? Maybe largest the largest, animal on Earth. largest animal currently. Yeah, I guess there were dinosaurs that were larger than that. But sure. is there a practical limit to how large a, a dinosaur, for instance, could get? Well, well, blue whales are are able to get huge because they're underwater and they're not. Yeah, they're uh, not really supporting their weight. own weight. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, but dinosaurs, the the biggest dinosaurs got, oh, you know, forty, fifty tons and one hundred and fifty feet long. Uh, those are the big long neck dinosaurs. But the reason they were able to get so large, I mean, it's kind of a a discussion in paleontology right now is how they got that big. Uh, but one way is their their bones, their vertebrae were paper thin in places. They had incredibly mm. lightweight, air filled vertebrae, um, and they had an avian respiratory system. We can talk about that another time. Yeah, they, bir birds have hollow bones, don't they? Birds have hollow bones, and they have hollow bones because their lung tissue actually invades the bone. Mm. Uh, I was telling Scott this: if you get a duck and you tape its beak shut and tape its nose tape over its nose holes and then cut off its arm it will it will breathe through its bone oh wow that's that's been done don't try this horrible. at home kids don't try this at home kids but yeah that's really birds cool will breathe through their bones that's crazy um, wow i know right and and it's one of the reasons they're so lightweight is because their bones are hollow and pneumatic uh, but but sauropods were able to get that big because their bones were hollow and pneumatic. But they also um, they have very large uh, columnar limbs, like an elephant. Uh, and one of, that's one of the things they did with Godzilla this time. Instead of giving him big, you know, human or bare feet, he has short uh, short feet that are are barely lower than his lower leg. I don't know if you noticed that. He doesn't really have ankles. Yeah, he doesn't really have ankles. His, yeah, his they, they do look more, more like, like elephant, elephant feet. feet for sure. Yeah, and and so that reduces stress on your joints. Um, 
but yeah, there's there's plenty of reasons sauropods got that big. But they, I, it, it's believed that they are approaching, or they do approach, uh, the absolute size limit for a terrestrial animal. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I got distracted for a sec. No, no, that's cool. You know, one of the problems you have when you're that big is uh, heat exchange. Um, you're hot all the time because you have so much surface area. And you're also, you know, radiating heat too, but when you're that big, you're also storing a lot of heat and producing a lot of internal heat. Yeah, I was going to say, it seems like with a with an animal that large, I mean, most of your metabolic heat is produced in the core of the body, um, right. but eventually it needs to escape. So the bigger you are, the longer path the heat has to go from your heart or whatever the, the center of your metabolic energy production is, it has to take a longer path to get out to the outside. So if you think about it, uh, a creature like a human has a relatively large surface area for the total volume, whereas a creature like Godzilla would appear to have relatively less surface area for his huge body mass. Right. Um, which again, it kind of makes me think, you know, the, the, uh, the, the scales that stick out perpendicular from his back might be involved in, uh, in that, you know, I mean, they true. would have to have like a cardiovascular system running through them in order to transport they, that heat. But, and they know. might inst stegosaur plates have vascular grooves all over their base. Aha. Uh -huh. So that would, that would uh, support that theory. Okay. There cool. you go. Now, you know, we, we talked a little bit about this, but, um, we never see Godzilla eat anything. What do you propose might be his food source? Aside from radiation. Uh. <laughs> right, which which is pure energy. I mean, again, if, if, if he could convert pure radiation into the energy that he needs to, you know, do things, then the only mass he would need is what's is what's literally needed to like build up and become larger, which at some point, once you reach right. your maximum size, maybe you don't need to do that anymore. True. Now, if he was, if, if, if he was going to eat things, you know, I'd probably see him eating whales. Mm. <laughs> uh, I don't sharks. think he needs a, <laughs> sharks. Yeah. I don't think he needs a lot of firepower just because his mouth is so big. It could crush anything. Um, or he could claw, claw it to death or grab it and squeeze it to death with his giant paws. But, mm. uh, yeah, he he might be bad news for the the world's whale population. That's interesting. I got to say, and I, and I talked about this a little on the Box Office Poison podcast when we reviewed Godzilla, but I, yeah. I found it uh, infuriating in in the new movie that Godzilla chases these muto creatures all over the world, um, <laughs> and he he seems drawn to them, and he he obviously you know has some kind of motivation to uh, be assertive over them and to destroy them. But then he just kills them and walks away. And yeah. I don't I can't think of any animal in nature that really behaves that way. If you if you have this if those are his prey, uh if he's seeking them out all over the world and going and hunting them down and he's not an intelligent creature particularly. I mean, he's an animal. Right. So, uh if he's hunting down and and going way out of his way to go hunt these things, uh, it, it's very strange to me that uh, not only does he not eat them after he kills them, but he doesn't even appear to do some kind of like energy transfer thing, you know, like yeah, it, true. you could see him like off. maybe absorbing the energy from them like Highlander style, you know, and if he's a being <laughs> that, that persists on pure energy, 
then that might be sort of plausible. But to me, yeah. it was very odd. The fact that he's almost like this assassin, right? Like he, he goes out and he kills the monsters and then he just goes back to sleep. And it just doesn't seem like very natural behavior to me. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that until you said it on Bop. And I was, I thought, yeah, that's, that's right. That's really kind of distracting. Like he just leaves their corpses and walks off into the sunset. It's weird. Like, uh, why was he here in the first place? I mean, he, He's not like the protector of humanity. He's probably existed for much longer than humans have been around. Yeah. So, and also he just doesn't seem to care about humans at any point in the entire movie. Nope. Um, Which I liked. I liked that about it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the cool thing to me about the movie is that it does have this sort of almost like a nature documentary feel to it at the best moments. Yeah. Um, You feel like you're watching animals that you've never seen before, but they're more or less behaving like animals. They're not... Uh, anthropomorphize, you know, Godzilla isn't doing a dance or some of the ridiculous stuff that he used to do in the Japanese movies. Um, and, and so for me, when they go to those pains to make him look like a semi plausible animal and to behave like an animal, um, when he doesn't, it, it's very jarring. And, and that was one of those things that maybe in the moment it didn't quite catch me, but like, as I was leaving, I was like, wait, why was he even chasing that thing? He just killed it and walked away. You know, it's possible that he was, he felt they were impeding on his territory. A lot of animals will kill another animal and not eat it if it feels their territory is being, uh, I guess, impeded upon. Wolves hmm. do it a lot, and, and so do lions. So his territory is maybe the entire Pacific Ocean? The, apparently the entire Pacific Ocean <laughs> and, and the coastal regions, yeah. Yeah. Well, you got to think, an animal that big's got a big territory. <laughs> no, that's fair enough. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I guess I, so. I wonder if there are other Godzillas. That, that's something I wonder about the movie because they they found that fossilized one mm-hmm, uh, right. underground. So I wonder if there's a, another one out there somewhere. Well, I mean, I guess he could be the last in his line, right? Um, like but, Draco. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but he <laughs> he must have come from something. So I mean, we we would presume yeah. that there there was a mommy Godzilla and a daddy Godzilla, and they had a baby Godzilla. <laughs> um, either from an egg or I guess some reptiles do have live birth. So, Oh, a lot of reptiles have live birth. Yeah. Yeah. And, and some rep, although he might be, uh, from a parthenogenic line, like whiptail lizards are all female. Oh, they convert at, they reach some level of maturity and some of them, uh, convert to male. Oh no, they're just all female and they all, they, they lay eggs. This is, this is where they got the idea for the stupid, Matthew Broderick, Godzilla. Mm. Females uh, in this lineage, actually several lineages of, of this whiptail lizard, they just reach a certain age uh, and they lay eggs and all the babies are clones. Oh, it's, it's asexual reproduction. Asexual reproduction. Yeah. Oh, that's a, it's weird on, a, on such a complex animal, though. Yeah, it's very but strange. Usually asexual reproduction is on a cellular level, you know, like a bacteria reproduced that way. Yeah, or uh, ants and bees do too. Really? Okay. Oh yeah, I didn't know that. Like a worker bee is a clone of the queen. Clone of the, basically a clone of the queen. They they develop differently based on the new the new nutrients they are fed as they age as they grow. Hmm. Okay. Oh man, bees and wasps, social insects are fascinating. Yeah, sure. But Godzilla definitely does not appear to be social. So no. that kind of debunks that theory. And also, I guess I don't really like the idea of Godzilla being a clone of his parent or parents because 
this is clearly a creature that's highly evolved. I mean, it has very specialized yeah. abilities, uh, very, you know, very distinct features. And so it just seems really unlikely that, that this is a creature that's a product of, you know, mere mutation over how many ever uh, cloning sequences. Oh, sure. Yeah, no, I, I, I uh, agree with you. Well, uh, before we wrap up, Zach, I think uh, we're, we're running a little short on time here. But uh, one thing that we should definitely talk about is this energy blast that comes out of Godzilla's mouth. <laughs> uh, obviously, this is one of the more science fiction-y elements of, of the whole Godzilla mythos. And, and right. I'm glad they kept it in the new movie because it would have been really kind of disappointing if they if they hadn't done it. Even though maybe it's the most ridiculous aspect of this whole thing. Right. But it also is super cool, and everybody loves it. Um, oh yeah, the whole at, theater cheered when he did it at uh, at the show. Like I cheered. I mean, how can you not? <laughs> like it, it's at, le at least you're gonna have this gasp of, oh, okay, there it is. You know, right? And if you'd never seen Godzilla before, I mean, I have to imagine it'd be incredibly exciting to see this happen all of a sudden. Oh, but, yeah. um, but like you know, as a as a paleontologist or biologist, how do you feel about this? I mean, you know, I let's. We, we could talk about the physics of whether such a thing is even possible. Um, but, uh, you know, like I was thinking there are examples of projectile attack evolutions yep. in nature. Yeah. Like the, the, like, the uh, uh, spitting horn toad. They spit blood out of their eyes. Yeah. Yeah. And some snakes, I think spit venom. Snakes. Yep. And those, there's that bombardier beetle that spits, uh, acidic, I guess, acid stuff out of its butt. Oh boy. Well, and yeah. there's also the – I'm sure you'll remember the name, but the uh, the dinosaur in Jurassic Park, the little one with the oh, sort of – the, the neck frill. Dilophosaurus. That, yeah. Do they, do they spit venom Dilophosaurus like in that Dilophosaurus that, that did not have a neck frill in real life. Oh. Uh, and was also much larger than it was in the movie. But And there's no – you can't – you know, there's no fossil evidence in the skeleton that it was spitting venom. Hmm. Um, but no uh, – no main no, uh, it would be speculation either way so on Dilophosaurus. so presumably it's a feature you know enabled by the soft tissue that would not be fossilized correct yeah okay all right yeah now there's some you know some animals that inject their venom with their teeth they have a nice easy to see giant groove down the side of the tooth right right uh, and no dinosaurs uh, ever been found with that hmm okay no spitting dinosaurs that we know of. Not that we know of. Nope. It okay. would be cool though. Yeah. Yeah. But this fire thing, you know, I really like the excuse they made in Reign of Fire. Did you see Reign of Fire? I did. It's been a while, but I kind of like that movie actually. Yeah, it's not bad. It, it, it doesn't have enough dragons, but it's pretty good. You know what? It's a. It's kind of one of the early uh, American roles, I think, for Christian Bale. Um, although he's yeah. he's he's. Uh, I think he's playing his his Welsh nationality in the movie. Yeah, um, yeah. But he's almost unrecognizable. It's like a crazy looking face and a huge beard. He's got a, yeah, he's got a giant Kurt Russell beard. <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, in that movie, I, what little I remember of it, and I did, I think I had to play the GameCube game of it also, which was really bad. But there was a GameCube game. Yeah, of course there was. Yes, this was <laughs> back in this was do? back when most blockbuster movies still had <laughs> video games. Nowadays, it's pretty much only Transformers. Some of the yeah. kids' CG movies, you know, will get a 
we'll get a video game adaptation. But back, back in the 90s and, and early 2000s, pretty much every major release would have some kind of licensed game. That's true, yeah. This is back when, we, when THQ existed to make all of these. Right. Uh, but uh, Reign of Fire, the thing I remember the most about it was that there's a lot of discussion of the actual anatomy of these dragons and, uh, you know, and, and how they did the things that they did. And I remember being sort of surprised and impressed that they went out of their way to try to explain scientifically why these giant lizards would have uh, features like wings and the ability to spit fire. But I don't remember yeah. exactly what the explanation was. So the explanation of the fire spitting was similar to this bombardier beetle. They have a, um, a sack of, on each side of their mouth of a different chemical. And when they... When they're breathing fire, what they're really doing is kind of spitting out two streams of this chemical that, when they meet, burst into flame. Sure, okay. Kind of like gasoline and, you know, something that causes gasoline to burst into flame. Like liquid uh, so oxygen, yes. Like liquid oxygen, yeah. So they're not really spitting fire, they're spitting these two chemicals. Uh, and I, I like thought that. that was really cool. Yeah, that is that is yeah. cool. I mean, and, the, the thing with Godzilla, though, is that he's, it appears that he's, you know, breathing some kind of plasma. Right. So, uh, you know, plasma is tip. There's different ways of making plasma, but typically it's made by electrifying a gas. Okay. So, you know, again, if, if Godzilla is sort of this giant capacitor of energy, um, it makes sense that he might either have some kind of store of gas within him. You know, maybe he produces a certain kind of gas that's reactive in this way. Um, mm -hmm. I think neon is, is the most typical, uh, like a neon light is that's a plasma bulb, um, and oh. so neon gas is is a very good uh, very good conductor of electricity that that you can make a like a low energy plasma out of. So like maybe he sort of biologically produces one of these uh, otherwise maybe inert gases, and uh, and then he uses energy from his stores to electrify that and create this plasma and then sort of project it out like that. Yeah, maybe. And, and that would make sense also that he doesn't use this immediately. He doesn't use it all the time. Like it may be something that it takes him a long time to recharge, both in terms of the whatever the yeah. matter is that, that makes up the plasma as well as the energy to uh, sort of ignite it. Might be yeah, something he that he see, can only it, do every now and then. Yeah, both times he used it in the movie seemed to be kind of last-ditch efforts. It, and it seems to take something out of him <clears throat> as well. Yeah. Like it, it seems to take a real effort to do it. Yeah. Which I kind of like. I, in the old Godzilla movies, he uh, they theorized that Godzilla had a plasma gland. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> that makes even uh, less sense than my version of it. It does. You you can find some really interesting Japanese like visible man diagrams of Godzilla <laughs> with all of his internal organs and his bizarrely human skeletal structure. Oh dear. Oh yeah, there. Well, they're I guess the the human skeleton would explain how he moves when he fights. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Although he did, I liked in this movie that he wasn't like he was never straight up. He was always kind of tipped forward. That was nice. Yeah, well he Yeah, I I I think I know what you mean. Like it it feels like he doesn't stand on his hind legs alone. He has to use his tail to stand up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and that makes it kind of like a kangaroo, you know, like they don't really yeah, stand true. purely on their legs. They use their tail as support, uh, and that's how they get upright. 
And uh, I, I did, I really appreciated how they made him look less human in this movie. Cause that's a big problem yeah. in the whole Japanese. Cause there is literally a person inside of the suit and right. with modern technology, you don't need to do that. And so I think it actually um, benefits the character and the story a lot to make him look less human and more like an animal. Yeah, very true. Well, going forward, we already know there's going to be a sequel and this can be our, our wrap up point. Um, is there a trilogy any... baby? Oh, really? Jeez. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, I, is there anything in the next movie that you'd like to see in terms of making Godzilla more believable uh, in, a, in a natural sense? I'd honestly like to see him eating something. Yeah. Uh, or like we talked that. about, at least absorbing some radiation. Right, right. Uh, and seeing that process. Uh, I'd also like to see, um, if not another Godzilla somewhere, then maybe a fossil of a Godzilla ancestor. Hmm. Um, you know, something like that. I'd, I'd like to, I'd like him to dig into his evolutionary history a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if they're going to have yeah. humans in it at all, at least that would give them something interesting to do. Yeah, that's true. Put a paleontologist in the movie. Imagine they that. put a paleontologist in the Matthew Broderick bit version. And she got to say Theropoda Allosaurus, which makes no sense. <laughs> Yeah, I guess there aren't, uh, other than Jurassic Park, there aren't many paleontologists in the movies. No. <laughs> All right, Zach. Well, thank you very much for doing this. I found it very well, interesting. Thank you, sir. It's fun to uh, talk about these goofy things in a, in a serious and uh, academic way. I know. It's speculative. Speculative biology and evolution is always real fun. <laughs> Excellent, sir. All right. Well, uh, that's going to do it for this segment of Connectivity, and I uh, hope you enjoyed it. You can, uh, I guess, reach, you can send emails about this to connectivity at nintendoworldreport.com or leave a comment yep. in the talk back thread over at our website, nintendoworldreport.com. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Zach. Thank you, Johnny. Bye.